Well, I'll guarantee you one thing. It will be from the Word. And if you think about it, uh, you might want to ask a question that uh, a lady who is up in years now no longer lives here and is in very bad health. But she came forward one Sunday after the meeting and said, Why are you always preaching about love? And if you think about it, whether it's 1 Corinthians 13 or many of the verses in the epistles that deal with attitudes and behavior that is either pro-love or anti-love, I'm often preaching from that. I get it from the epistles. The, the, uh, the early apostles kept seeing a need in the churches for love. And I've never gotten far, but I realize it's my need. And as I survey and listen and watch and observe families and individuals, it's a great need. And it's tied in with something very important. We're talking about this morning, the theme of our message is God's method for spreading the gospel. God's method for spreading the gospel. Father, we pray for the blessed minister of the Spirit of God to be upon us, that we would hear the word of the Lord and receive it. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. The psalmist was in a terrible pit. Don't know what it was. But you know, when God met him and God delivered him, now he has a song in his heart. And a song in his mouth. Praise to our God. He says, many will see it and fear, reverence God, and will trust in the Lord. A revived believer rejoicing in the Lord is a great tool of evangelism. Psalm 51, we know the story of David. What a horrible place he got himself into. But he repented. And a part of that uh, great account of repentance in Psalm 51 He cries out, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. The reason many people in the pulpit and the pew are not engaged in teaching transgressors, sharing the gospel is because we've got unconfessed, undealt with, unforgiven sin. It's shocking the number of people who will even go so far as to come to church, come to a Sunday school class, and they have an agenda. And it's not love, and it's not sharing the gospel, it's carrying out their agenda. God help us. Jesus says in John 13, 34, and 35, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another. 
Well, it's stated in the Old Testament also. So I'm not going to deal with trying to understand the reason why he called it a new one at this point, but I want to go further to say that he has exalted us this. As I have loved you, you love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Jesus said in Luke 19 too, that he came to seek and to save the lost. And then he, when he first, when he called his first disciples, he said, follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. Seems like Jesus has an agenda. And it's a good one. He has a purpose for us. And so the question is, is godly Christian living in our homes and in this church vital to the spread of the gospel? Apparently we don't think so. Because we have all kinds of excuses as to why we don't have to love, we don't have to forgive, we don't have to manifest the fruit of the Spirit. So the first thing I want to share this morning is that Genuine Christianity is always all about relationships. First of all, the primary relationship is that of having a personal saving relationship with Jesus Christ by his amazing grace. We receive the gospel. We have to receive the gospel before we can share the gospel. Before we can preach the gospel. The second vital relationship has to do with the fellowship in the body. Christ is the head, we're members one of another. You cannot have Christianity without the body. Well, I'm just a solo Christian. You're not. You might be a Christian in that uh, frame of mind, but you are a rebellious Christian and you're headed for chastening. Being in the body, being a functioning member of the body is not optional. We could demonstrate that in a very gruesome way. One of you could go back home and quickly bring your chainsaw and I could stick my arm out and you could cut my arm off. Well, that, bar, that arm doesn't need the body. Really? As gruesome and as awesome and as ugly and as anti-Christ as to how God has designed and how he intends our bodies to function, that's only peanuts compared to when we act that way in the church. I don't need you. We've dealt with that recently in 1 Corinthians 12. We'll go a little bit more there a little bit later. But... We are members one of another. And the hand can't say to the foot, I don't need you. So, in the local church context, we are called, and we've gone through this recently, to express ourselves in the body through the some about 50 one another's. In case we, well, I, I don't know how, what I'm supposed to do. I don't teach, I don't preach. 
It's fine if God has called you to preach or teach or sing or whatever. Blessings there are. He may call you to sweep a floor. Those things are good. But that's not the essence of church work. Church work is spelled out almost 50 times in the epistles. Love one another. He says that 16 times. He knows we don't hear very well. Or maybe, let's put it this way, he knows we are a little bit slow in obeying. He knows we have our own agenda. I, I don't know why he said 16 times, but except that it must be important. Forgive one another, care for one another, pray for one another, and on it goes. So, what is our Lord's grand purpose for such expressive love in our homes and in the congregation. Again, John 13, 34 and 35. Beloved, love one another as I've loved you. And First John will say if we, if we don't love, we don't know him. And that's how serious this matter is. So rooted and grounded in these two primary relationships... We are also called and motivated by the indwelling Holy Spirit to move out into the world. To make Christ known, to spread the gospel. But we need to be honest with ourselves if we are failing to live lives which reveal Christ and his love, we will not advance the cause of Christ. We just won't. There's a lot of things here. We will, as Paul would tell Titus, I believe it was, you're, uh, you're doing this and this and you're causing the gospel to be blasphemed. In fact, the Lord told David that. You, you've caused my name to be blasphemed among the heathen by what you've done. Christianity is not just something you do on Sunday morning and then now we get on the rest of our life. It's the totality of our lives. And we're here to make Christ known. Knowing him to make him known. So, oh God, restore unto me the joy of your salvation. One of the things that needs to speak deeply to every one of our hearts is the lack of joy in much of our Christian living. Having joy, the fruit of the Spirit, doesn't mean you're going around with a silly grin. Well, I think you know the difference between joy and sadness. With the joy of the Lord, there's a peace. There's a contentment. It may be a quiet excitement, but it's excitement. David was not just, oh well... You know, now that I've got my sins confessed, uh, yeah, I feel pretty good about it. No, he's wanting to, he missed something in his life, and we pick it up in the Psalms, and you may not be gifted to write as he wrote, but I don't think I've ever met anyone, but that they could rejoice in something. It might be the latest I grew up saying fishing pole, but that seems so plebeian. So low down on the scale. 
But I can remember as a child, when we came home from the store with a 16-foot cane pole, we were excited and full of joy about going fishing. We understand all that. David is excited about being forgiven. And if you and I have lost excitement about being forgiven, we need to get along with the Lord. And remind ourselves of the price that was paid for us to have forgiveness. If you don't know the joy of forgiveness, you need to get along with the Lord. You may need someone to help you to come to faith in Christ. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with your gracious spirit. Then will I teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted to you. I grew up in a mindset for most of my ministry where uh, this sort of thing was designed to plead with people to come to Tuesday night or Thursday night visitation. And you were left with the mindset that if you were really spiritual, you came to visitation. There's nothing wrong with having a Tuesday night or Thursday night visitation, but that's not what this is talking about. This is talking about overflow. This is not talking about something you have to be begged and bribed into. This is not talking about something, well, if you want to be on a higher plane of living, you get with this group to meet. This is talking about an everyday life. He was a king, but whether he's a king or not, he was not signing up. To go out knocking on doors. Nothing wrong with knocking on doors. But he was, he was signing up to have to manifest overflow of a lifestyle that because it's supernatural, the Holy Spirit would bring about the conversion of others. I think it was in last week's newsletter we talked about Hudson Taylor while he was at work in China. Uh, had a, at one time a thousand missionaries that he was praying for and the Lord using him to raise support and so forth. So he's talking to a new recruit, all bright-eyed and excited about going to the mission field, working with Hudson Taylor. And so Hudson Taylor wanted to impress upon him the fact that on that mission field in China that there would be many troubles and trials and tests that would just come crushing down on him. And so as he's making the point, Taylor uh, is sitting across from a little bit of a rickety table with a glass of water on it and, and, the, and the guy's just listening for everything. And as he's making the point, he slams his hand down on the table and water goes everywhere. And then Hudson Taylor said, young man, in China, the work is difficult. The accommodations are meager. There will be many troubles, trials, and tests that will come crushing down upon you. And when they do, what is in you will come out. The fruit of the Spirit are carnal attitudes and carnal words of an uncrucified flesh. And so it is with us. And we are on a mission field. So it is for all of us. Life comes tumbling in with unwanted and unexpected things and we get crushed. 
and something comes out. It can be as simple as somebody not agreeing with us and not, we don't like what they're doing. We don't like what they've said. We don't like how they smile. It can be anything. We don't like it. Something comes across our plate. And either the fruit of the Spirit comes out or the carnal works of the flesh. God is calling us to embrace and to be a channel for the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 22 through 24. But you know, the reality is that so many times life tumbles in, life suddenly surprises us, and things like this come out. Idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, additions, heresies, idolatry, uh, uh, jealousy, passionate anger, intrigues, divisions, uh, sorcery, quarrels, contentious temper, fits of rage, murders, drunkenness, revelings. And I've told you before and I'm telling you again, if this is your lifestyle, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. But there's not a Christian here. But when the glass of water suddenly splattered all over us from a sudden jolt, it wasn't the fruit of the Spirit, but the works of the flesh. When I yield to the indwelling Holy Spirit and become a channel of Galatians 5, 22 through 24 responses, I begin to experience the joy of doing my Father's will. That's where joy comes from. Doing the Father's will. He said, well, that sounds like works to me. It works. It's the way Jesus lived. John 15, 10, 11, and 12. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. This is my commandment, that you love one another. Oh, another place where he says that. As I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, that he'd lay down his life for his friends. And back in verse 11, he says, These things have I spoken to you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. Joy is not experienced with me getting my way. Are with everybody agreeing with me. Joy is experienced as I'm walking in the steps of Jesus and doing his will. So I began to experience the pleasures and the joy that come from supernatural responses, the fruit of the Spirit. And one of the things that this also has the power to do is to cause enemies, even enemies, to have an experience like coals of fire are being heaped upon them. 
Romans 12, the end of verses there of Romans 12. When you overcome evil with good, when you manifest the fruit of the Spirit rather than the works of the flesh, a great source of uneasiness will come to the enemy. They realize they're seeing something supernatural. Conviction might come. Conversion might come. Well, Jesus certainly walked in this path. He never harbored hurt or resentment or bitterness. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He stayed focused on his father's will. He stayed focused on being his father's healing agent to the undeserving the unresponsive, and the unloving. And we're called to walk in his steps. That's how he walked, that's how we're to walk. His first words are, follow me. I'm going to make you fishers of men. And this is not some uh, high-power, twist-arm salesman technique. This is radical revolution where you're manifesting the love of Christ when something else is called for. So, genuine Christianity is all about relationships, the primary relationship of knowing Christ, the overflowing relationship of being baptized by the Spirit of God into the body of Christ, and this will overflow into a compelling desire of wanting others to know Christ. Being forgiven, you forgive and you want others to experience it. Being loved with his love, you experience it, you want others to know about it. So, what about the world to which we are to go? So, look at your little uh, handout. The top one there, with all the circles, those are concentric circles. And we'll use this to illustrate something about our mission field. Jesus said in Acts, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, to the uttermost part of the earth. The world is our mission field. And we should not exclude any of it. And there is a significance of order, I believe. You start where you live. And you spread out. You should be my witnesses. The word is a word that has to do with giving forth evidence. A demonstrated lifestyle. You're his witnesses. You represent him the fruit of the spirit not the works of the flesh is what we're to show to the world as we go out there to them now, there's no doubt about it the world is flooded with what the works of the flesh and oh by the way if we want to win over the works of the flesh we had a thought along these lines this morning in Sunday school going in Romans chapter 1 uh, go home and read Romans 1, uh, what, about 18 to the end of the chapter, and, and think of just the deepening darkness of all the sin. Or look at the uh, Galatians 5, 19 through 21, the works of the flesh. 
Now, what, about 99% of all entertainment today is built around getting you to enjoy that stuff or to laugh at that stuff? And Christians all over America and pastors all over America saying, I can handle it. I don't see anything wrong with it. And then we wonder why we are so dull when it comes to walking in the steps of Jesus. In radical contrast to the works of the flesh. I mean, we can't evangelize the world that is steeped in the works of the flesh if we're like them. Well, that's not what denominations are saying today. I had a pastor that labors in this area and a Facebook friend that called from California. They both are in a particular denomination. They had not had conversation with each other. I had not had conversation about their conversation. And both of them told me the same thing. The pastor is being required to go through some training. And the denominational people are saying, look, we are not reaching people. We've got to get more over to where they are comfortable with us. Which includes changing our attitudes about homosexuality. Well, that's the way the world is going, so let's get like the world. This fellow called me from California. He began to tell me about the church he's in as a member. And it was the same story. Happened to be the same denomination, but I guarantee you they're not the only denomination that's doing that. And you know what? There are many parents all over the nation sitting in pews this morning and they're changing their minds you know why Susie or Johnny came home from college and they have come out in the open and said I'm gay I'm lesbian I'm homosexuality a great Bible teacher I use that word carefully but in the eyes of many his books on discipleship have gone all over the world in their denomination. He has a long history of being a conservative. He held to the statement of faith of their denomination. They have an excellent statement of faith uh, as to sexuality. I've read it. It's fine. Biblical. He no longer holds to it. His daughter came home. Announced herself to be a lesbian. So he played both worlds for a while. At church, I'm holding the line. At home, receiving her with open arms. You don't have to hate her. But Jesus says, if this is your lifestyle, you will not be in heaven. And I came across a long article he wrote that was sent out to his denomination telling of how he had changed and how he had discovered that Sodom and Gomorrah had nothing to do with immorality and a lot of other things. This is the world we live in. He said, well, I'm not there, but if I am living one thing and it's like the world and I'm headed that direction, or they over here, but I'm only here. Listen. You want some sweet music? 
You want something that's life transforming? People enslaved in the works of the flesh need a life transformation. They need to see the radical opposite. Jesus was both loved and hated. He was loved because he manifests the fruit of the Spirit. He was hated when he opened his mouth and began to teach. He did not compromise truth in order to hold a crowd. The fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22 through 23, is the music of the gospel, which makes the gospel tracts and the sermons and the Bible studies all the more believable. The revelation of God's explanation of what love looks like in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. Love is patient, love is kind. And so as we begin to just take that plaque off the wall and let the Holy Spirit dig it deeply in our soul and our behavior, uh, miracles, first of all, happen in our lives. And somebody is seeing Jesus. All too often, we've hidden, ruptured, and stained relationships in our Bible-believing churches and homes are just plain worldliness. Look at your little thing there. So here we are. We're self. In this context, self is not a bad thing. That's just who you are. And then we have these relationships. And we find it very difficult to take the gospel to immediate family, relatives, close friends, neighbors. We can take them to, to, to person X. We can go on a mission trip to Timbuktu and come back and tell how wonderful it was to go on a mission trip and how, how the people in that nation, they are so responsive to the gospel and people over here are hardened to the gospel and because people are hardened to the gospel over here, I can't take the gospel to them. Jesus said, take the gospel to Jerusalem. That's the city that crucified Jesus. This is one of the reasons we find it easy to jump past family and relatives and, and go to person X. Because they don't know us. Now, no doubt, person X needs the gospel. And by the way, I had the privilege to go, as most of you know, to India and did, did street preaching over there and passing out tracts and all these things, and that's fine. But that was the easy part. You know who had the main part? The pastors and churches who lived there. They couldn't go and take a few weeks off and then come back and, and just get in with normal life and not share the gospel over here. We shared it over there. Oh, they were receptive. An American can go many places in the world and get crowds of people to raise their hand. But the people that are close to us, they know our salty language, they know our lustful looks, they know our greedy grasping, they know our anger, they know our business deceit, they know our gossip. 
They know how we uh, are at work or at school. Now, if that's the reality for any of us, uh, we can go to those people and say, you know, I, I was wrong. It's a sin, and, and uh, I've asked God to forgive me. I'm asking you to forgive me. And so, you know what you've just done? You just witnessed to the people in your world. But again, those people in our X, where there's some other nation somewhere, they're there 365. I got on a plane and came home. Still pray for those people, but but when I stayed 45 days, I began to have a little bit of a feeling, oh, gee, look what these people have to deal with. It's hard. But we have to be in for the long haul. Praying. Waiting for the Lord to give increase. You can't just teach Sunday school over here twice a year. Or some other ministry. We have to minister week after week. Have to be available. We can't just walk by on the other side. We have to be like the good Samaritan. He got involved. He paid a price. We are the only career missionaries and full-time servants that the people in circles two through X have. I can't remember. It's been rare. Now I'm talking to someone who's visited our church. And to hear them say. We want to make sure you believe the Bible and all of that. Had a few to say that. But we're looking for a church where we can plug in and serve the Lord. We want to minister the gospel. We want to share Christ with someone. We want to help Brothers and sisters grow in Christ. That's rare. So the question of who's going to take the gospel to those in our 2-6 world, those in circles 2 through 6, you and I. That's our assignment. And that's our privilege. To have such a vital relationship with Jesus Christ that it overflows in how we treat each other, how we love each other, how we forgive each other, and all that. You know, something else that's vital here? The people in our 2-6 world, they're just like us. They have good things that happen to them and they have bad things that happen to them. And a lot of times when it's good, they don't know how to handle it. And if it's bad, they don't know how to handle it. But you and I in Christ have resources. We have a vision, an understanding about who we are, whose we are, why we're here, why God allows, why God brings, and what God is up to. I'm to be following Jesus. I'm to be walking in his steps. I'm to be a fisher of men. I'm to be manifesting the spirit of Christ among the brothers. I'm to be loving one another. 
So they don't have resources. But as they witness you winning the battle over bitterness and revenge and hate and fear, it's going to be a growing one. We need to prepare our hearts. The gospel is being seen in circles two through six. And it opens the doors for the gospel tracks for the appointment to sit down and share the gospel or to listen and find out where they are and open the scriptures and help them to understand. The music of the gospel flowing through us can make people thirsty and hungry for the good news, for the grace that they need to handle life. It's called being salt and light. So life tumbles in and we have fresh opportunities, new points of contact. They see something horrific that happens to you and they witness you having grace. For example, in the hour of death, not to weep as those who have no hope. This is real evangelism. And this witnessing starts with how I treat my wife, my family, my church family, neighbors. It continues with being a congregation that loves and forgives and seeks to build each other up and is concerned about growing in holiness. This evangelism continues with just the simple telling of the good things that God has done for us. How many times are we grieving and quenching the spirit when we don't tell the good things that God is doing for us? The woman at the well went back and told her city, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. The demoniac sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed in his right mind. He wants to stay with Jesus. That's a good thing. Jesus sends him on a mission. Go back and tell the people in your home, where you're from, what great things God has done for you. So, dear folks, what we're not doing is we're not going to have a sign-up sheet for people who are going to go out on visitation. There's nothing wrong with setting aside time. We usually set aside some time for that which is important. You went fishing last week? Yeah, and I set aside a time. I made an appointment. You played ball last week? You went to work. Well, yeah, I mean, I have certain hours. We keep certain hours for things that are important. And for everything else, we make excuses. If we refuse to manifest love and forgiveness and holiness, we grieve the Holy Spirit. And just like David of old, we will not be talking to people about the gospel. But as soon as we repent, crying out for restored joy, then the trigger has 
sprung and you're now free from the guilt and remorse and you're ready to go out and talk to people about Jesus. I don't know about you, but this is good news. This is what God has called us to. So, is how we live important to evangelism? Absolutely. Couldn't be any other way. And see, in this, in this, in this biblical mindset, evangelism is not some scary thing. Oh, I wouldn't know what to say. I don't have the gift of gab. I've known a lot of people who did not have the gift of gab. You pick the right subject, and boy, you can't stop it. Let's get on football. Or something else. I've never met a man who couldn't talk about something. Well, if you and I can't talk about Jesus, we need to get along with Jesus, spend some time with him, get to know him, so we want to talk about him. Hmm? And it starts with a relationship with him. Being born again. That's the divine motivation. Our Father, we thank you for the wonderful reality of the truth in your word that sets us free from legalism, from uh, man-made bondages, and sets us free from the course of the world. And thank you for life in Christ. Thank you not only for forgiveness of sins, but an entrance into the family of God. And we now have brothers and sisters with the most unique company of people on the face of the earth. And we have the greatest assignment that we'll ever have before entering heaven. And that is to reveal Jesus to a needy world by the music of our lives that's manifesting the gospel and by sharing the literal death, burial, resurrection gospel to those in our world. Help us as a congregation to be found faithful, to make forward steps, to encourage one another, to repent where we need to repent, and to go forward in the faith. These are dark times, but you're building your church. And so, yes, the days are evil. And so the assignment is not to huddle in a corner, but to redeem the time. Help us to be about redeeming the time where we work, where we live, with each other. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.